Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Great to have all of you, and if you're a guest, we're really glad that you decided to spend this time with us. If you're watching online, we really appreciate you being here, and we're continuing on in our series on prayer. And I want you to imagine something before we get started. I think it's going to help with our our talk today. I want you to imagine that you have been working for a jean company for the past 30 years. Let's say you've been working for Levi Jeans, okay? And I want you to imagine you're giving a pitch to your client about why your jeans are the best and you're talking about, well, you know, we make great quality jeans that are going to stand up, they're going to last, they're not going to fade, they're great. And the client said, well, you know, we've decided to go with somebody else. Well, why? Well, you know, nowadays we're looking for jeans that are faded, and uh, we're actually looking for more jeans that have lots of holes all over them, and they're kind of frayed looking. Uh, I'm sure many of you, as you've noticed, jeans have changed since you were younger. Uh, My granddad, anytime I'd bring a friend over to my house that had on a pair of jeans that purposely had a hole in it, he'd always walk to them and say, well, I think there's enough people here now, and they'd say, for what? And he said, well, we can get a little collection together to buy you a, a new pair of jeans. He'd always, he'd always say that. So, okay, you get, you get what I'm joking at, though, that can you imagine working for a long time at a jean company and you're working hard to make them be strong and durable and, and not fade, and now you learn, actually, that's exactly how uh, people want their jeans. Um, the more faded, the, the more holy, the better. Okay, now I'm going to, this is a real life story that also applies to what I'm getting at. Catherine and I are one of the blessings, one of the many blessings that we will never be able to fully calculate from our parents is the fact that neither of us had to pay for our college. Both of us had scholarships, yes. Uh, Catherine was way better than me at, at uh, going, to community, going to college when she was in high school, Brazosport College. So she actually graduated in three years from A&M. And so we, we have all these things, but truly, we couldn't have done it without our parents paying for our college. Now, yes, I understand. Some of you may think, well, I purposely didn't pay for my kids' college so they would learn the value of having to work for it. I get that. Don't worry. There are other parents that pay for their kids' college, and it goes very poorly. But that being said, when Catherine and I got married, we were denied two times a credit card. And I used to think growing up, like, they, like, couldn't wait to give out credit cards to people, you know? But I learned, I was like, why do we keep getting denied for a credit card? Our third try, we finally got one. They said, well, you don't have any debt. Doesn't that make no sense? You would think the people they would be dying to give a credit card to would be the two people that don't have debt. And so Catherine and I purposely had to go buy a car. And we actually had saved up enough money to pay for it outright. But we had to tell them, actually, we want to take a payment plan, a loan, for a year so that we could have debt and prove that we had the ability to pay off debt so that we could get a credit card, so that someday we can maybe build credit to maybe buy a house. Now, all of you are thinking, that's pretty messed up, right? You would think the people that didn't have debt is the people you would want to give the credit card to, and yet really what it is is the people that, they're like, oh, you know, these people have a history of debt and a history of paying for it at some level. That's who we're really wanting to get credit cards to, right? Okay. So... These, both of these examples, with the jeans and with the credit card, they, the very thing that you expected to make you the perfect candidate, 
that are no debt, the gene company making strong quality genes, that thing actually seemed to disqualify us from getting a credit card or for, for being chosen to be the newest gene company. You following me? Okay. With that in mind, let's read our story and we're going to see another story where the thing that we would think qualifies us seems to disqualify us and the thing that we think would disqualify us seems to be exactly what God is looking for. So let's read Luke 18, 9 through 14 together. If you want to turn your Bible or you can, you can follow along on the screen. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Another great parable of Jesus and another one where Luke gives us a clue right off the bat what the point is. Now, yes, as I was studying for this, I realized this is another example of a story that has prayer involved that's really less about prayer, but I think we're still going to learn a lot about prayer. But we see the clue. The clue is... This is a story for people who believe in their own, who are confident in their own righteousness, and they look down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. This is the part in the story, by the way, where everyone listening would have kind of cheered with the Pharisee and they would have kind of booed with the tax collector. I know that's hard for us to wrap our minds around because for those of us who grew up in church, you grew up hearing Pharisee and thinking bad guys. But not for these people. For these people, they would hear Pharisee and think, good guy. How many of you have been to like a, like a Garth Brooks concert or something before? Okay. Anybody been to a country concert? Some, some country concert. It doesn't have to be Garth Brooks. But, you know, usually the musician or the entertainer will get up and they'll say something like, anybody in here from Dallas? And what does everybody from Dallas do? Woo, yeah. yeah. Any Aggies in here? Whoop, whoop. You know, yeah, yeah, you know. Any, got any tech fans in here? You know, I wreck them, all that. You, you know what I'm saying? That is what you're supposed to see from this story. The second that there were two men. There was a Pharisee, and everyone's like, hey, here we go. Here's the hero. And then they would say, and there was a tax collector. And everyone's supposed to be like, oh, boo, tax collectors. They're the worst. I don't know. It would be like, it would be like if Garth Brooks was doing a concert in Lubbock and was like, do we got any Longhorns in here? And everyone's like, ah, gross. You know what I mean? That's, that's what they would do, right? Oh, they're the worst, right? Okay, you, you get what I'm saying. This is, everyone in the audience would be like, ugh, tax collectors, gross, disgusting. All right, so here are our two characters. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers. You almost get the idea that in his mind, everyone else is either a robber or an evildoer or an adulterer. That just sums up everybody else. Or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. So let's pause here for a second. I, I want you to think about this word Pharisee. I'm not positive I should have done more research, but I'm pretty sure the word Pharisee in its root kind of just means someone who is set apart. Just like we talk about the word holy means to be set apart. A Pharisee is someone who has gone above and beyond to be super duper religious, to be incredibly holy. And so this idea of him standing apart would not have been weird. Everyone would have expected it. This is a person who's extra holy, extra righteous. And so I, I kind of am not going to stand among you commoners. I'm going to stand over here. And I think you can see this, this above and beyond. We see it all the time. If, if someone at your school, if your teacher assigns summer reading and that person reads that book before like the week before school starts, they're like a Pharisee, you know? They're just going to go above and beyond. Oh, I already finished Scarlet Letter back in June, you know, above and beyond. Or that person in high school that was on your sports team where the coach said, all right, for cross country, I want you to run a mile every day. 
and that person ran a mile and a half or two miles every day, just above and beyond. Or if it's that person at your work, that person at your work that, you know, whenever you're thinking about who most deserves that promotion, usually it's the person that's like, well, everyone's supposed to get it here at eight, but they get here at seven. Everyone's supposed to stay till five, but they stay till six. Just above and beyond everything. Or, you know, I know this would never happen. I, I know we can't possibly ever imagine this. But sometimes there might be people at our churches who feel like they want to be extra holy. And they're going to go above and beyond to make sure that, well, you know, I don't just come on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, but I also make sure that if there's any kind of men's or ladies' Bible study at any time, 5 a.m., 10 p.m., I, I need to be there. Now, by the way, thankfully, there's a lot of awesome people in my life that I know love to go to those things because they love to go to those things. But you know, we know those people that do extra religious stuff because they feel like they need to really make sure that they're uh, boosting their, their resume, their holiness resume. And let me point out one more thing about this Pharisee real quick. The Pharisee, when he prays to God, he begins his prayer like a traditional thanksgiving psalm. He says, God, I thank you. And then he doesn't say anything about what he's thankful to God, like for God doing anything. He doesn't say, thank you, God, for making the sun come up today. Thank you, God, for the way that you have continually redeemed your people, that you have created, uh, you have rescued us out of Egypt. He doesn't say anything like that. He says, thank you, God, that I am who I am and that I'm not like these people. I'm so great. I don't just fast. I fast twice a week. I don't just, you know, tithe. I tithe the tenth of all that I have. I'm really great. Okay, this is the tax collector. Now, or that, that is the Pharisee. But the tax collector, boo, boo. The tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus finishes the story by saying, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the shocking twist to the story, the surprise that everyone listening would be really frustrated by and really confused by, is that the enemy is the hero of the story, and the person that they expected to be the hero is the one who, I don't, I don't want to say villain, but kind of the villain of the story. It's a shocking surprise that is not only a surprise to people back then, but it's a surprise to Christians and people living today. We expect God to hear the person who is a really righteous, living person. And yet, and we also really don't expect God to hear the tax collector, because he's a bad dude. He's looking at his uh, neighbors and their property, and he's elevating their property just enough so that he can get that tax, give it to the Romans, and then skim off the top just a little for himself. He's a crooked person. And yet in this story, he's the one that God hears. You expect that he's going to be the one that God ignores, and you expect God to hear the Pharisee. Just like Catherine and I expected that we would get approved for the credit card because of our qualifications, and yet we didn't. And here in this story, the person that seems the most qualified for God to hear his prayer is not who gets heard, and the one who seems the least qualified is the one who God hears. So, I want you to think, and I want you to hold on to this. One of the things I think is really important when we read this too, when we talk about hearing our prayers, is this phrase right here that I want to highlight. 
It says, rather than the other, this person went home, the tax collector went home justified before God. It doesn't say God heard all of these man's prayers and answered all of them the way that he would like. He didn't hear him and go, okay, every person that you prayed for today on your prayer list is going to get heard. But what I will say that's interesting is technically God does answer all of this man's prayers because he has one prayer. His prayer is, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And this phrase, he went home justified, we're going to talk about it more later, but I've, I've said this before. The word justified is a phrase we throw around a lot here. It's a kind of a church word, and righteousness is a church word. But the word to justify is the same word that's basically God saying, he made this person right. And so you have one person who comes with all of their righteousness, and they are left not made right. And there's another person who comes with his lacking in righteousness, and God makes him right. The Pharisee believes that he is likely an insider with God because of his advanced piety, his holiness. Surely God is pleased with his offering. And something that I think most of us can relate to is, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this word self-righteousness and I'm going to turn it into something that I think you might be more able to understand. How many of you, if someone told you this person is really self-sufficient, you would be really pumped at that word? If someone said, you know what, grace is incredibly self-sufficient, grace would be like, yeah, thank you. That, what a compliment. I really appreciate that. And if I come home, I, I'm, I'm constantly trying to be someone who's more self-sufficient, but if I come home from work and Catherine says, I think our water heater's out, I'm picking up the phone and I'm saying, hey, Sam, are you home yet? <laughs> Sam, have you gotten off of work yet? Because Sam can fix just about anything, and I can't. I can't, um, I don't know how to do that. And so I wish I was someone who was more self-sufficient. And this is the word I want you to think of with this self-righteous. When this Pharisee is approaching God, he is coming to God basically going, I know how to fix the water heater. I know how to do all this stuff. I know how to take care of my taxes. And I know, to, I know how to check my stock account, or my stocks and investments. I, I know how to, uh, to, to grill a steak. I know, I, I've got it all, God. I'm, I'm self-sufficient when it comes to the righteousness category. And the, t the tax collector is the one who's coming and saying, I'm completely not self-sufficient. I, God, just have mercy on me. I, I, in the righteousness, in the salvation category, there's nothing that I bring to the table. I will say, and this is, this is something that's important, is there is nothing wrong with wanting to be self-sufficient in this life. But when we take self-sufficiency and treat our rightness with God as a self-sufficiency thing, we run the risk of being like this Pharisee. This Pharisee is coming to God, but it doesn't seem like he really needs much from him. He is self-sufficient in the holiness department. And I know, when I was prepping for this, I can often relate and be guilty of acting the exact same way. When I come to God in prayer, 99% of my prayers are often, God, all these people have all this stuff going on. Be with them. There's so many people in my life who need so many prayers. God, please be with them. Now, sometimes I do that because I don't like being self-centered. I always can struggle sometimes of asking for a prayer request about me because it's like, well, I'm not a big deal. Let's think about other people. But sometimes it's because I think I'm pretty good. I'm pretty set. But these people, they need, they need your prayers, God. And I can often do that. So here is the first thing that I want you to, to take away. 
I'm going to talk about this from the negative side and then the positive side. One thing that I hope you, we learn not to do with our prayers is that when we come to God with our self-righteousness, we are going to leave empty. So don't come to God with all of how you've got everything figured out, because if you do, you're going to leave empty. Now, does that mean God's not going to hear... When, when you come to God with your self-righteousness and you pray for Brother Smith... That, and God's like, well, pff, this guy's self-righteous. I'm not listening to that guy. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is that if you're coming to God, you are going to leave empty if you are coming with all the things that you bring to the table. Now let me look at it from the positive side. When you come to God in humility and with dependence, you are going to leave with Christ's righteousness. You have this tax collector who is completely aware of his need and dependence on Christ's righteousness because his own righteousness is completely lacking. I've been blessed to be part of a prayer group um, that does this practice where we call about praying the Jesus prayer. I was not familiar with this term, the Jesus prayer, until I went to college, so I'm guessing many of you haven't heard of it. The Lord's prayer is, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Some of you probably heard of the serenity prayer. God, give me the the strength to, you know, the AA does serenity prayer. Uh, there's other prayers. But the Jesus prayer comes from this passage. The Jesus prayer is to say, Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And sometimes people will, what they'll do is they'll call, it's called breath prayers. Well, they'll breathe it in and breathe it out. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Exhale. And what part of our practice was to, to pray that over and over again. And I remember I really struggled with it, and some of you might struggle with that too, because it felt really depressing. Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. It felt like it would be like if I coached up some of the teenagers before their math test to recite, uh, I'm not good at math. I'm not, I'm not going to pass this test. You know, it feels very negative. I'm not good at math. Oh, I'm in trouble. You know, does that make sense? It feels like that's not really what you want to be focusing on. But what I realized is part of my struggle with this prayer is that I had to come to terms with the truth that God isn't trying to beat me up by making me think I'm a sinner. God's not saying, hey, every time y'all pray, y'all better be really down on yourself. It's more trying to say, how much do I truly grasp just how much I am dependent on God? Just how much there is no way that my righteousness, no matter how much I'm walking in the Lord, no matter how much I'm trying, I am constantly aware of the fact that I am completely and totally lacking when it comes to my righteousness, my ability to do things right. I was listening to a sermon back in October where he preached on this. His name's Wade Hodges, and he's in Allen, Texas. And he, uh, he talked about this passage, and he talked about the, so the song, Just As I Am, I Come Broken. And the idea of when we come to God in prayer, we come just as we are. And I'm going to read this from the, the hymn for you. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. I, come, I don't come with all these things. I come with one plea. And that thou bidst me to come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcomed with open arms, praise God just as I am. This Pharisee comes just as he is. Now, Wade, one thing he did say in his sermon is he said, that song is not quite true. 
He said, you can't come just as you are if what you are is self-righteous. So next time we sing that, we're going to go, unless you're self-righteous. No, I'm just kidding. But he says, you can come just as you are, but you can't come unless your cup is already full. If your righteousness cup is all full of Floyd's righteousness, of my righteousness, of Katie's righteousness, there's no way that you're going to go home justified by Christ's righteousness because your cup is already full. But if you come broken with an empty cup, if you come wounded with an empty cup, then there's a place for God's righteousness to come into your life. The last thing I want to mention, and then I'll wrap up. Well, this is me wrapping up. Doesn't it seem like, throughout Scripture, this theme of the disqualified being qualified and the qualified being disqualified is common? It seems like Paul is someone who should be disqualified from teaching because he murdered tons of Christians. It seems like David should be disqualified from being called a man after God's own heart because he, whatever word you want to use, took advantage of Bathsheba and murdered her husband. Doesn't it seem like Peter should be disqualified from being a leader because he denied Jesus three times? And then we have this parable of the two sons, the lost sons, the one that runs away and the one that's lost in the father's house. One of them says, God, Father, I come back to you and I have no righteousness. I have screwed up. Make me one of your servants. The older son, the one who stuck around, the one who worked, the one who deserved the father's inheritance, that's the one who the father says, why don't you come on into the banquet? Let me justify you, make you right. He's like, I, you don't need to justify me. I'm justified. I've done everything right. That's the one that screwed up. And yet that older brother is the one that doesn't get to join in on the banquet because he's convinced that he's fine with his righteousness. And it's the younger brother who is utterly convinced of his dependence on the father is the one that gets to come into the banquet. In each equation, the qualified one who is convinced of their own self-righteousness, and then there is the unqualified one who is dependent on the father. In each equation, the qualified one convinced of his own self-righteousness, dependent on his own acts of piety, receives nothing from God. And the one who seems unworthy and unqualified comes to God in humility, makes no claims to his status at all, or her status at all, but acknowledges their position as a sinner who can take refuge only in the goodness of the Father, and receives that for which they ask, compassion and restoration. If any of you would like to come to the Father and ask for restoration, this is a great place to be, and elders are going to be standing at the doors. If you'd like to speak with them, or if you'd like to, to talk to me up front, or so many people at this church would love to talk to you about what it means to come to God and seek His righteousness and His forgiveness. Let's stand and sing this song.